This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of James, if you would, tonight. James chapter 5, uh, we're continuing our series through the book of James. Uh, if you miss anything so far, get caught up on the Hui Kala app. If you have the Hui Kala app handy, uh, you can check out the notes for tonight or uploaded to the Hui Kala app. This is message, I believe, number 41 in our series, 41 or 42 in our series of uh, uh, going through the book of James. I don't know about you guys, but this is the last page in the book of James in my Bible. Uh, that means like we're like landing the plane. We're like bringing it down here. Chapter number five, only five chapters in James, and we're in chapter five. So uh, that's exciting. And so we'll be uh, taking votes for the next book of the Bible we're going to do, and uh, we'll uh, select it by popular vote. Said no pastor at Hui Kala ever. <laughs> Here's the thing. Some of you don't remember this, but uh, we had a little fun at the beginning of the year where I had people get, had the opportunity to text in what you thought the next book of the Bible we were preaching through before I revealed it was the book of James. And here's the thing. People put like 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, you know, the book of Philip 66 and stuff like that. And it's just like, you guys are the reason why we can't have fun here, okay? It's your fault. And so we can't have nice things because of people like you. And so... Anyways, the book of James, uh, James chapter 5, uh, we're going to start in verse number 1 just for the sake of context, we're really going to get down to verse number 11, so again, if you're keeping score at home, and I hope that you are, that puts us almost halfway through the last chapter of the book of James, this is exciting stuff, so again, just by way of context, uh, the book of James is written to the 12 tribes of Israel that are scattered abroad, the book of James was probably one of the very first books that were, was written of the New Testament. Uh, so interesting to note, they don't have anything to go off of this, this point. They don't know how Christians are supposed to live. They don't know what makes them different from the Jews that follow the, the law still. They don't understand what makes Christianity unique. And so James kind of set the, the foundation for how Christians live. Excuse me, writes a letter to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad saying, hey guys, here's how we live. Uh, James has been sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it doesn't really deal with a lot of strong Bible doctrine. Uh, it doesn't tell a lot of stories. It just tells good, practical living for Christians. And so that's why we've entitled our series Practical Christianity. Uh, I've entitled tonight's message, Long Suffering While Anticipating Jesus. Uh, James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse number 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. And ye shall eat your flesh as it were fire, ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. So again, you've tried to get gold, you've tried to get silver, it's all become corrupted, you've stolen from people to get ahead, to get rich, and because of that, God is going to judge you. Verse 5, you've lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of a slaughter. You have condemned and killed, uh, killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Now get to verse number 7 through 11 is what we're dealing with tonight. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, this is the gardener, 
waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. As we think of patience, most of us think of um, those who are impatient. And we think of patience being the opposite of impatience. That would just kind of make sense, right? We think of patience, for example, last night, my daughter, McKeeley, she was hungry and she says, Dad, how long does it take to cook a frozen pizza? And I said, about 25 minutes. And she goes, oh, I can't wait that long. And then like an hour later, she was like, how long is it to cook a frozen pizza again? And it's just like, the frozen pizza would have been cooked and eaten by the time you asked the second time. If you had just been, what's the word? Patient and waited for it to cook. And she went to bed without a frozen pizza because she just didn't have that kind of time. The problem was she had time, she just didn't want to wait that long because of what? Patience. We think of patience in terms like that. So when the Bible says be patient, we think like, oh, wait 25 minutes for your frozen pizza to be cooked. We think like, I don't like to wait in traffic because I'm not a patient person. Uh, we think of things like, uh, like, I want what I want and I want it now, I don't want to have to wait a couple of days. Uh, we think of that as, as patience. Please know this, when the Bible speaks of patience, Almost every single time, it is not speaking of waiting around to get what you want. It's instead a better word to be used instead of patient, when we see that in the Bible, would be the word long-suffering. So when the Bible speaks of patience, it's primarily speaking of the word long-suffering. Now, again, people say things like, well, you know, you can't change what the Bible says and things like that. I, I get it. I'm not changing what the Bible says. I'm, I'm using different words in an English translation. The Greek word for the word long-suffering is this word, the Greek word makrothumia. So I would encourage you, uh, again, you can download a, a Bible for free on the, uh, the App Store on whatever mobile device that you have, and you can look up different words in the Greek and Hebrew and things along, along those lines. Just about any time you find the word patience in the Bible, it's going to be the Greek word macrothumia, which literally means long burning. And just by very definition, the word long suffering means to suffer long. Now again, this is just really simple, and it sounds simple on the surface. But when we talk about long-suffering, that takes on a different meaning than the word, for example, patient. Being patient might be, mean I'm willing to call in a pizza from Domino's and wait 30 minutes to eat it as opposed to needing to eat something in the next five minutes. That might be patience. Long-suffering means I'm willing to suffer for a year, two years, 10 years if necessary to allow God's will to come to fruition. Does that make sense? So when we think of words like patience and long-suffering, they really carry different connotations, especially in our English language. But in the Bible, same word, macrothumia, long-burning. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What's the next one? Somebody help me. Long-suffering. Greek word, anybody want to guess? Macrothumia, long-burning. You might have heard somebody say before, like, man, I just got so angry because I've got a really short fuse. Short burning. The Bible says we're to be long burning. How long? 
as long as it takes. Now again, uh, that's why I believe that when it comes to English Bible translations, I believe there's good, better, best. Uh, I don't like Bible versions, for example, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Because again, I believe it gives the wrong connotation. Patient, okay, I'm willing to wait a little while. I'm willing to be inconvenienced for a short period of time before I can get what I want. As opposed to, I'm willing to suffer for an extended period of time. Because again, if there's a word that we as Americans don't like, it's the word suffer, right? Somebody's already suffered in the past so that you and I don't have to suffer, right? Somebody's already come along and paid the price for you and I so that we can have comfort. And if I don't get what I want right away, okay, I'm willing to be patient to get what I want. Totally different idea than the idea of long suffering. And so the Greek word macrothumia which can be, again, sometimes, especially in this passage here, uh, verse number um, uh, eight, be also patient. Word macrothumia there. Describes the attitude of self-restraint that does not try to get even for a wrong that has been done. (laughs) So get this. It's talking about retaliation. I've been wronged, but I'm not seeking immediate retribution. And... When it comes to, again, this word that gets translated sometimes in the English Bible, even the King James, patient, like in this case, it usually represents long-suffering patience, get this, towards people rather than things. So again, you might say, I'm not a very patient person. I don't like to wait around for things. That's one thing. But to say, I'm willing to suffer long, that's something different. I'm willing to suffer at all is a difficult statement. But to say I'm willing to suffer long is even deeper. Long suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. But it's also an act of faith, believing that the sovereignty of God will bring about God's purpose. I'm willing to wait for this as long as it takes because I believe that God is sovereign. There's been times in my life and probably times in yours, where you wanted what you wanted, you wanted it right away, but you were willing to wait to allow the process to work itself through. As parents, there's nothing worse in the world than watching your kids fail, knowing that they're going to fail, yet having the restraint to say they need to learn to fail. You ever been there as a parent? That's hard. I know what you're doing. I know where this goes. I know where this leads. It's disappointment. It's frustration. It might even be heartbreak, but I'm going to allow you to go through this because I believe in the end that God is sovereign. There's been times in my life where my adult children, it would have been really easy to reach over and colloquially grab the wheel and steer it the way that I wanted to, but I had to say, hey, look, if you're going to run off the cliff, you're going to learn a valuable lesson while you run off the cliff. You know what that is? That's long-suffering and trusting in the sovereignty of God. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It's painful. But at the end of the day, I know that God knows best. I'm willing to trust in God's sovereignty, and I'm willing to endure difficulty, frustration, disappointment, knowing at the end God is faithful. That's long-suffering. For example, someone 
being in a marriage with a person that doesn't love them the way the Bible commands, but you're willing to stick it out with a good attitude because you believe in the sovereignty of God. You believe that God has a purpose in whatever it is that you're going through. And you're willing to say, hey, I'm willing to set aside my personal comfort for a period of time because I believe that God's word is true. It means that person at work that gets on your last nerve. Like if you have like 100 nerves, they like get on like 101, right? That person you're willing to say, hey, I don't need to answer back everything that they say. I don't need to prove that I'm right. I don't need to prove that they're wrong. I don't need to get back at them for the things that I've done. I'm just going to let this thing work itself out and I'm going to be long-suffering. Well, that's difficult. Yeah, that's why it's called suffering. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's why it's called suffering. I don't like it. That's why it's called suffering. It's not called long-enjoying. It's not called be long-comforting. That's not even a thing. Long-suffering is, though. And so, again, I would just encourage you, when you come across the, the, the Bible word patient, never that I found, and again, I can be proven wrong. If you're proven wrong, I'm happy to be wrong. Never have I found a time in Scripture where the word patient means willing to be minorly inconvenienced for a brief period of time. Never. Just, it's just not there. So when you see the word patient, you need to automatically think in your mind, I'm willing to suffer long. Now, what does that mean in the context of what we're talking about here tonight? First of all, we see that long-suffering fixes our heart upon God's promises, and changes our attitude from frustration to expectancy. Again, long-suffering comes down to faith. Do I believe God's word is true? Now again, if I ask you tonight, if you believe God's word is true, say amen. Everybody would say amen. The problem is tomorrow. Do you believe God's word is true? Oh, well, of course. Except for this one situation that, that probably the Bible doesn't apply to. Yeah. Again, that's an act of faith. I believe that God is at work. I believe that God's moving. And I'm willing to change my attitude from being angry, disappointed, frustrated to an attitude of expectancy. Now I'm not waiting for the other shoe to drop. Now I'm not waiting for everything to fall apart. Now I'm not waiting for everything to fall in on me. I'm really waiting to see how God moves in this situation. I'm looking to see God show up in this situation that I can't change myself. And if that means I'm uncomfortable for a period of time, so be it because I know that God's faithful. If that means that I have to be inconvenienced, if that means I don't get what I want right away, if that means that I have to wait on God for a minute, I'm willing to do that because I trust God because he's always been faithful. And when we adopt the spirit of long-suffering, our heart switches from being frustrated to now having a spirit of expectancy. Now, it's important. This is just an aside. This isn't in your notes, but it's going to be helpful for you. There's a difference between expectancy, I can't wait to see what God does, and entitlement, okay? God owes me. God better come through because I did exactly what he said to do. God's going to fix this in the way that I want him to because he owes me. That's entitlement. And let me just tell you this. If there's one thing that the Bible tells you that you are entitled to, it is God's wrath. That's what you deserve. If you want to feel entitled to something, you're more than happy to feel entitled to God's wrath. 
Anything that you get on top of that from God is God's grace and mercy. Please remember that. So again, it's, it's okay to say like, ooh, I can't wait to see how God works this out. <laughs> I talked to somebody to even tonight during handshaking time. And here's what you need to know as a church family. Hey, look, everybody is going through something. Everybody's carrying a burden tonight. Everybody is trusting in God tonight. I talked to somebody and said, hey, I'm losing my job at the end of the week. What's next? I don't know, but I'm really excited to see what God does. And it wasn't like a, I don't know. I'm sure God's got something planned. Like, oh, no, I can't wait to see what God does. And I said, what is that? And they said, I have no idea. I said, yes. You know why? That is faith. That is long-suffering. That's faith in action. I can't wait to see what God does because whatever God chooses to do, it's going to be better than what I would have chosen for my own self. Like, have you ever gotten a, a gift at your birthday, at Christmas, something like that, and you're like, wow, this is like so next level, I wouldn't have even picked this out for myself. That's the type of gift giver that God is. He's lavish. I, I, I love blenders. I, I strange, I know. Uh, but like, I use a blender, like, honestly, like three times a day, I use a blender. I love blenders. And I always get the like $79 Ninja blender at Target because it's got like the triple blade thing going on and all this, it's got all these buttons and stuff like that. I, I love it. The problem is they don't last. I go through like probably a Ninja blender once a year. But I've always wanted a Vitamix. But like, who really pays $500 for a blender, right? And that's like next level. No lie. One year for Christmas, my wife, the final gift, I opened it up, and what do I have? I have a Vitamix blender. And my first thought was, why on planet Earth would you spend $500 on a blender? What were you thinking? And here's what she said. She said, I've been using our grocery money, and I've been getting cash back since January of this year, taking out money from that. I was just like, that was not in the budget. Like, that's dirty. That's, that's like deceitful even, right? And she said, and it went on sale, and I had a coupon, and I just pulled the trigger, because I thought to myself, would Anthony buy this for himself? And I, the thought was no, so I wanted to do it. And so, what the world? I have a Vitamix blender. I would never pay $500 for a blender. It's crazy, but I love it. And I use it three times a day, and I've used it three times a day for the last three years. So I definitely got my money out of it. And I haven't bought another blender since, right? What does it have to do with anything? I haven't, what I'm trying to say is, you and I, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me. Like, you want more than anything in the world to keep buying Ninja blenders, and God's got a Vitamix for you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Amen. Thank you. Somebody got the illustration, like one person. Look, I know it's silly, but what I'm trying to say to you is God's plans for you are greater than your plans for yourself. God's ways are higher than your ways. So, again, long-suffering is trusting in the sovereignty of God, having a heart of expectancy, trusting for God's plan to come to fruition. Again, we see verse number 8, James chapter 5, verse number 8. Be also patient, long-suffering, wait it out, stick it out, even if it's hard. Why? Establish your heart. You know what that means? Put a stake in the ground. Quit waffling. Quit going back and forth. Oh, I'm going to trust God. Oh, I'm not going to trust God. Oh, God's got this. No, I got this. Oh, I'm just going to let God work. No, I think I'm going to work. No, no. Establish your heart. Trust in God. Stop waffling. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. What does that mean? What does it have to do with anything? 
hey, there's coming a day where all this is going to be over. You don't have to worry about where you're working, what you're doing, how much money you're pulling in, what your budget looks like, what the next plan is, what the next trip is, what clothes you're going to wear tomorrow. All that's over and done with. But here's the thing. At that point, the coming of the Lord, everything that you and I have been tasked to do, it's, it's the final bell. Like, it's the end of the game. It's over. So what James is saying here, hey, and again, context. Context is key. End of chapter 4. Stop saying, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go into this city. I'm going to buy, sell, get gain for a year. Focus on the will of God. Because life is but a vapor. It appears for a short time and then vanisheth away. Stop waffling back and forth. Stop worrying about your own personal comfort and how good life is for you. And remember that the Lord is coming at any moment. Are you ready? Well, I'm ready. I've accepted Christ as Savior. Is your neighbor ready? Is your coworker ready? Like, look, there's eternity is at stake. And let me just tell you this. I'm not saying that we're the only church in town that's preaching the gospel because that wouldn't be a true statement. But I don't know a lot of churches in our city that are greatly concerned about the souls of mankind and people knowing Jesus Christ is their Savior and preparing our city for the coming of the Lord. I don't know of a lot. I hope there's more than what I know of. So what I'm trying to say is like, hey, this is up to us as like real deal Bible-believing Christians. I can't count on what other people are doing in other churches, but I can count on what we're going to do together as a church to advance the kingdom. So again, man, get your heart straight because God's coming soon and you need to be ready. When it comes to the return of the Lord, verse number eight, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The desire for the return of Christ should not produce lofty theological debates, but it should produce holy lives. You know what grieves me? So many times people want to discuss prophecy, and oh, is this prophecy fulfilled, and that prophecy fulfilled? How many prophecies are outstanding before Christ has to return? First of all, let me just tell you this. There are zero prophecies that have to be fulfilled until Jesus returns. None. We're not waiting on anything. Somebody said one time, well, if the Lord tarries in his coming. The idea of God tarrying is like, oh, he's not ready to go yet. Like he forgot his car keys. Like he's like waiting around for something to happen. He knows the moment that he's coming back and he's not waiting on anything. And we don't go to prophecy conferences and study prophecy. And we have a prophecy hour here where we scan Fox News and try to figure out what uh, we saw in the news this week and how that aligns with, with Bible prophecy. And what does the invasion of Ukraine uh, by Russia mean for the end of times? You know, is this the Great War? Is this Gog and Magog? It's all happening in the Middle East. And so we think about this thing. Hey, stop all that. God didn't give us prophecy so that we would read tea leaves. God didn't give us prophecy for you and I to predict the future. He gave us prophecy to say, hey, guys, I'm coming back. You better get ready. We had a guy leave our church one time because he said, Pastor, we need to preach through the book of Revelation. I said, probably not in the next five to ten years at least. I was just giving him an honest answer. I said, here's the thing. Revelation is so deep. As a pastor, I would study Every single day, the book of Revelation, probably a couple of years before I would ever feel qualified to actually crack the book and tell you what it says. That's how deep it is and how far-reaching it is. 
So out of respect for the book of the Revelation, man, I, I would feel unqualified at this point to be able to expound the riches of the book of the Revelation. That's what, that's me. Well, I want to find another church that takes prophecy seriously. <laughs> Mind you, this is a guy who never came to church, never tithed, struggled with alcohol, and was on like his fourth marriage. So tell me again how the return of Christ has created holiness in your life. Oh yeah, it hasn't. The whole point of Christ's return is that you and I would get our hearts ready. The whole point of Christ's return is when Jesus comes back, it would be a shameful thing for you to be on the computer looking at pornography. The whole point of the return of Christ would be a shameful thing for you to be six beers deep on the couch about to pass out when Christ returns. That's the whole point of Christ's return. Not for you and I to sit around and go, hmm, premillennial or postmillennial. Hmm, what do you think? I don't know. Anybody can be a theologian and hold a postmillennial position. What do you think about the tribulation? Who's going to be here? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? You know, what do you think? What about Daniel chapter 12? Stop all that. Live for Jesus. Come on. It's been said before, and it's so incredibly true. The majority of Christians are educated far beyond their level of obedience. You know far more about the Bible than you actually obey. Your problem isn't that you need to be deeper educated in the Bible. If that's the case, we have a discipleship program for you. But most people, they know what to do. They just don't want to do it. And so they'd rather come to church and hear some deep philosophical explanation of the Bible that leaves them confused, and they're like, oh, that was just really deep. Is it deep when you're confused and don't understand anything? The Bible's not meant to confuse you. The Bible's meant to uncover the character of God so that we can love him more. So again, the whole idea of prophecy, the whole idea of the return of Christ is that you and I would live holy. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 7, but at the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober and watch unto prayer. Peter said 2,000 years ago, hey guys, Jesus is coming back really soon. Pray and get your life right. Peter didn't say like, watch the news because when this happens, Christ is definitely going to return. And we're just plugged into the news waiting for Jesus to come back. Hey, read your Bible and wait for Jesus to come back instead of watching TV and waiting for Jesus to come back. Just a thought. But again, verse number eight, hey, be patient. Be long-suffering. Get your hearts right because Christ is coming back soon. When he talks about long-suffering, being willing to suffer long for the return of Christ, we're to be long-suffering like the farmer waiting for the harvest. Verse number seven, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband, but husbandman, the gardener, the farmer, waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Again, the idea of patience is not waiting nine months to get fruit. Somebody, one time when they left, who we call a sweet family, loves the Lord, loves us. They gave us a, at the time, again, the church was small. We were really broke. And they, when they left, they bought two Dyson vacuum cleaners as their parting gift to the church. Like, they left the church and they gave us two $500 vacuum cleaners. Like, wow, what a blessing. I said, Pastor, we have a special gift for your family. I just gave $1,000 worth of vacuums to the church. What do you got for me, right? Pastor, we want to give you this. We haven't been able to do anything with it, so maybe you'll, you'll be able to use it and be a blessing. I'm just like, man, that's exciting. We're going to give to you a pineapple that we've been growing. Okay. And so cut off the top of a pineapple, plant it back in, it's going to grow. And I was just like, man, that's a blessing. Like, and legitimately, I thought to myself, that's so sweet. Like, I can't wait 
like, like six weeks or so, we're going to have pineapple here. I'm going to like cut them, put them on the grill, and put them on a, uh, some teriyaki chicken with a fresh slice of pineapple, and I'm going to remember you and your family when I, have, when I cook this on the grill. It's going to be incredible. Like, I was thinking that in my mind, like, what a blessing. Like, sweet people, man. And when we pray, I'm going to pray for this family and this blessing that we have, this fresh pineapple, and how it reminds us the pineapple is the fruit of hospitality in Hawaii, for those of you that didn't know. Super sweet. I get online. You know how long it takes to grow a pineapple? Anybody know? 18 months to 24 months. And you know what I did with that pineapple? I hope they're not listening to our podcast. I threw it away. I'm sorry. Look, when you can buy a pineapple at Costco for three bucks, I'm not going to take two years and water this thing, you know, twice a day. It's not. And look, when I got the $3 pineapple from Costco, I, I ate it. I prayed and I thanked God for their family. They were a blessing. <laughs> but look, I ain't got time for that. Seriously. So <laughs> stick with me. Stick with me. I'm going, I'm going somewhere. The idea is this. Just like the farmer's willing to wait two years to harvest that fruit one time, you and I need to be patient as we wait for Jesus to come back. Well, it might be hard. Of course it's going to be hard. Well, there's going to be times where I'm hungry. (laughs) You're going to have to wait it out. You know why? Because the interesting thing about the harvest is you don't have any control over it. You can't rush the harvest. Okay, it takes 18 to 24 months to grow a pineapple. Okay, well, how do we grow one in 12 months? You don't. Okay, well, how do we grow one in six months? You don't. You have no control over this. So when it comes to the application here, we trust God with the things that are outside of our control. We wait for the God of the harvest to send the early and the latter rains. In, in farming terms, they would plant towards the end of summer. And they would get a rain in the fall, they would get a rain in the spring, and then they would harvest come summertime. Fall time, they would plant all over again. So this is two different seasons throughout the year that the rain actually comes. The rest of the time, you know what they're just doing? Just waiting it out. But they're waiting with what? Expectancy. Hey, at the end of this harvest season, that fruit's coming, and that fruit's gonna be sweet. It's coming, and it's gonna be good. So I'm just gonna trust God I'm going to wait on his timing. I'm willing to suffer long if necessary, just like the farmer did. But while we trust God with the things that are out of our control, we also honor God with the things that are in our control. Hey, I don't have control over what happens tomorrow, so I'm just going to honor God with today. I don't have all the time in the world to fix everybody else's problems, but I can invest in my family this week. Hey, I can't solve the world's problems, but I can pray with my wife this week. Hey, I can't give a million dollars to every person that I want to, but I can give a word of encouragement this week, and that costs zero dollars. I'm waiting around on God to do his thing. I'm not going to be idle. I'm not just going to wait. I'm going to trust God. There's certain things I can't control, and I'm going to allow God to do those things that I can't control, and I'm going to honor God with the things that I do have control over. The harvest is also completely dependent on the timeline of the process. Again, you can't rush the harvest. It takes time. Well, I want what I want, and I want it now. I know that's why you need to be long-suffering. It's difficult. I know. That's why it's called long-suffering. 
It's hard. I know it is. Waiting on God with a spirit of expectancy, keeping your heart right, keeping your attitude right. But establish your hearts, verse 8 says. Wait it out because God is faithful and you can trust him. You can always trust God's timing. And you can always trust the faithfulness of God. So just hang tight. Allow the harvest to do its work. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9. Let us not be wearying well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we go down to verse number 10, take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience would be long-suffering like the prophets who spoke on behalf of God. Think about these prophets. Get this. Some of these guys made prophecies three, 4,000 years ago that still haven't come true yet. Isn't that interesting? Talk about being long-suffering. Hey, God, you want me to tell these people that this is coming? I'm willing to do that and make a prophecy on your behalf. And Okay, so thus saith the Lord. When's that going to come true? I don't really know. Not in my lifetime, not in the next. Maybe a couple thousand years will come true. Talk about long-suffering. Jeremiah, you read through the book of Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet, because God told him from the get-go, Jeremiah needs you to go and tell everybody that they need to straighten their act up or they're going to go into captivity. But Jeremiah, nobody's going to listen to you. Why am I going then? Because I told you to. Well, what if they make fun of me? Oh, it'll be worse than that. They'll threaten your life. Jeremiah was placed in the stocks by the temple. You know, these things like you go to amusement parks and you put your head through and you put your arms through and everybody takes your picture. Yeah, that was a real thing. It was meant to be an embarrassment and a mockery. You know where Jeremiah was set up shop at in the stocks? Right by the temple. So that everybody who was claimed to be a follower of God when they came to the temple would see this prophet that was deemed a laughing stock, a mockery. Hey, Jeremiah was just trying to do what God told him to do and he was called the weeping prophet. Why? Because he cried because nobody listened to him. But man, he was faithful. He didn't know why he was saying what he was saying other than God told him to. He did precisely what God told him to do. Tell them to repent or they're going to go into captivity. Jeremiah said, repent or they're going to go into captivity. And guess what? <laughs> they didn't repent and they went into captivity. But you know what he was? He was faithful. So just like the prophets were faithful, we stand our truth, our, our ground based on truth, not popularity. Jeremiah did not tell the people what they wanted to hear. He told them what they did not want to hear. Look, let me just tell you this. I've preached through a lot of books of the Bible, and probably one of the hardest so far is the book of Romans. Just because it feels like it, and again, it's not the case because I'm just saying what the Bible says. It feels like I'm watching the news and coming to Sunday and preaching on the things that I saw this past week because precisely what the Bible says is being carried out in our society day after day after day after day. And look, we haven't even gotten into the deep parts of it yet. But like, again, a, a society that holds down the truth in unrighteousness. We, we push down the truth and we twist the truth and to pervert the truth, to make it say what we want it to say so we can be okay with our own sin. That's what we do. And it, it feels, it's, it's really hard because I can only imagine people coming here on a Sunday going, wow, he's just like talking about current events on Sunday. No, I'm preaching the Bible. But it's so applicable. And look, we haven't even gotten to the really, really hard stuff of Romans 1. If you haven't read through the rest of the chapter, you need to read it because it's just tough. Those that worship the creation more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Those who became wise in their own 
eyes and professed themselves to be wise, and they became fools? Heavy. Hey, look, I didn't get into pastoring because I wanted to be popular. And look, if you want to be popular, a Christian's the worst thing in the world you could be. Bible-believing Christian, let me say that. But you know what? I don't want to be popular. I don't want to give people my opinions. I don't want to tell people what they want to hear. I want to tell people what God has to say. And again, that's not a pastoral thing. That's a Christian thing. We stand on truth regardless of the fact whether people accept it or reject it. We speak the truth regardless of the consequences. Hey, I'm going to speak the truth in love. And whatever happens, happens. Look, we've had people walk out of our church services before because they said we were narrow-minded. Hey, look, I'm, I'm as open-minded as the Bible allows me to be. But I'm also as narrow-minded as the Bible is. And like, hey, if you walk out, you walk out. Now, again, here's the thing I love about our church. Somebody gets mad and storms out. We've always got one of our men that will, hey, try to catch them on the way out. Hey, is everything okay? Is there anything I can talk to you about? Anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to discuss? Can I pray with you? Because we're not trying to make people mad. We're not purposely trying to offend people, but the gospel's offensive. It is what it is. But again, we've got to speak truth just like the prophets spoke truth. And if there's consequences, there's consequences. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, Wherefore we're seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience the race that's set before us. Keep your finger here in James. I want you to turn over to Hebrews. It's the book right before James. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. In your Bible, you're probably maybe three pages to the left. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Some people mess this up, and so I, I want to be clear in what it talks about. I, I've heard this passage preached. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Seeing therefore, wherefore we are seeing, we are also compassed, circled about, with so great a cloud of witnesses. And the idea is that you and I are running a race, and in the grandstands are these witnesses. The heroes of the faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Goes through a list of all these people who stood for right, who did the good thing, who, who fought the good fight, who walked by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 goes through what we sometimes refer to as the hall of faith. Verse number one in Hebrews 12 says, now seeing that we're circled about by such a great cloud of witnesses. The idea that, and again, I've heard this preached this way, that like you and I are running this race and up there in the stands is Abraham going, come on, man, you got this, get after it. That's not what it's talking about. They're not watching us run our race. They've already run their race as evidence of how we run our race now. Again, when you have a witness in a court of law, they don't come to watch what all is going on with everybody else. They come to tell you what they've already seen and what they've already done. So we're circled about by all these people in Hebrews 11 who are telling you living by faith can be done. Living by faith is the best way. You can trust God. He's always faithful. And we're circled about by this group of witnesses who have already run their race saying, it can be done. They're not sitting on the sidelines going, go buddy, you got it. Push hard. It's not, it's not what it's saying. So what do you and I do? Now, because we're running this race and other people have done it, we need to lay aside the sin and the weights which does so easily beset us. Throw off the things that are holding us back from being able to walk by faith. But it's going to require you to be long-suffering. Look, 
one of the worst lies that false religion, fake gospel sell is that if you follow Jesus, all of your problems go away. And that just isn't true. For many of us, following Jesus creates great difficulty that we never knew before following Jesus. And so the problem comes when people say, oh, follow Jesus and all your problems just melt away. Follow Jesus and you'll get that promotion. Follow Jesus and you'll be rich. Follow Jesus and that cancer will go away. Then we begin to follow Jesus and when that doesn't happen, we get disappointed in who? Jesus, you let me down. No, no, the problem is that Jesus let you down. You bought into a false gospel. Following Jesus does not make your problems go away. Following Jesus just means that you're never alone in any problem that you walk through in this life and the next. Ever. It just means that Jesus is walking with me every step along the way. And, and trust me, when I'm facing adversity, I'd whole lot rather be walking with Jesus than walking by myself. But again, I'm willing to be long-suffering. I'm willing to wait, just like the prophets of old waited on the promises of God. Some of them they didn't see come true in their lifetime. Some of the promises that God makes you, you might not see in your lifetime. Train up your child in the way he shall go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You might not, never live to see your children grow up and walk with Jesus, but you got to, by faith, walk that out today. i got to believe that God's word is good, and i got to trust it. i got to follow it every step along the way. Just like the prophets of old, we speak of the goodness of God, especially during suffering. Again, if we go back to James chapter 5. Take my brother and the prophets, verse 10, who has spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Again, that word patience, macrothumia, long-suffering. They go through difficulty? Sure. You know what they talked about? The goodness of God. Man, I'll, I'll just tell you, if you've ever been around someone who has suffered well, it's like water to your soul. I remember a friend of mine gone through cancer probably, man, 15 years ago at this point. Sick, thrown up, lost all of his hair, bloated, looked terrible, felt terrible. And you see the guy and you're broken for him. You say, like, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, man, God is so good to me. I, I was reading the book of Psalms this morning. Man, I was reading through that and that was such an encouragement to me. I've was, I was, just been meditating on rejoicing in the Lord and always, and again, I say rejoice. Man, that's been a real comfort to me this week. How about you? What have you got from your Bible reading? It's just like, I'm dirt. <laughs> I'm a terrible excuse for a human being. I'm awful. I'm wretched. I am lower than low. Because you see people who say, and I'm going through a tough time, but man, how good is God? And if you've ever seen people who didn't suffer well, they became very self-focused. Well, I don't know why this is happening to me. All I've ever did is try to serve Jesus in my life, and it's how he repays me. Oh, this is awful. I always get the short end of the stick. God's never for me. God's always against me. I don't know how he could do this to me if he loves me. And it becomes me, me, me focused. You have the wrong perspective. But if you've ever seen somebody suffer well, man, it encourages your soul that you think to yourself, I want to be that guy. I want to be that gal that when difficulty comes, I knuckle up and I suffer well. I remember several years ago, I'd gone to uh, 24-hour fitness in Waipio, 
and um, I was working out there, and I just finished. It was Monday, so that's International Bench Day for those of you that don't go to the gym. Mondays, you bench. You always bench. You just have to. It's a law of the universe. You have to do it. And so uh, I just finished benching because it was Monday. I put my weights away, and some dude rolls up in a, uh, a wheelchair with a, a wounded warrior patch on the back. Jack-looking dude gets off, has no legs. And I was just like, oh, man. He's in his chair, he pulls a 45 plate out, sticks it on one side, wheels over to the other side, pulls a 45 plate, slaps it on the other side. I go over there, he said, hey man, can I help you load up the bar? He goes, I got this. Okay. And like, I just like step back. Dude goes over, gets another 45, boom, throws it on. Goes over, gets another 45, boom, throws it on. I was like, man, this guy's like hardcore. Dude goes over, gets another 45. Throws it on. Other side, 45. For those of you that aren't good at math, 315 pounds. The dude gets down, stretches like this, and just starts like cranking them out. Puts them back on. After he finishes his set, I'm watching the whole thing like, good grief. I go over and say, hey, man, can I help you re-rack? He goes, I got this. And I thought to myself, you're such a stud. No, seriously, like, I look at you and I feel sorry for you. I want to help you. But you know what? He don't want nobody to feel sorry for him. He's doing his thing. He's where he needs to be. He's accomplishing the task that he set himself out to do. He don't want anybody to feel sorry for him. He doesn't need help. He doesn't want pity from anybody. He just wants to do the work that he's been called to do. And I thought to myself, again, everything in life comes back to a spiritual truth. You and I got work to do. And so many times we're looking for pity. We're looking for people to feel sorry for us. But some of us just need to knuckle up and do what needs to get done. Do the work. It's hard. Of course it's hard. Life is hard. One of the great things about having kids is you get to tell them all the things you would told you, your, yourself you'd never tell your kids when you grew up, right? Oh, Dad, that's not fair. What's the right answer to that? Somebody help me. Life's not fair, son. Grow up. I always said I would never say that, but it feels so good to say that. Life's not fair. Grow up. Come on. We think life's going to treat you like, oh, that wasn't fair. Let me fix that for you. We went to, <laughs> we went to the, the fair. This has been probably, man, almost 10 years ago now. Going to the 50th State Fair at the, at the uh, Aloha Stadium. My son Van had just gotten a brand new wallet, and he had a $50 bill. And I told him, don't take a $50 bill to the, the fair. You're going to lose it. He's like, I'm not going to lose it. I promise you. I'm going to take really good care of it and stuff like that. He, he was like, again, he was that age where he was like 10, you know, and he has a wallet. What did he have in his wallet? Like his school ID, you know, and a $50 bill. Don't do that. Look, if you want to buy something, I'll pay it. You can pay me back when we get home. Don't take your wallet with a $50 bill. I'm going to take it. I'm going to be responsible. Okay, great. When we get back to the car after having a great day at the fair, and what do you think happened? I lost my wallet. I don't know what happened. Well, we went back, retraced our steps, went to the rides, hey, did anybody turn a wallet, went to lost and found, no wallet, sorry, don't know where it's at, didn't get it back. And dude was crushed. I mean, fifty dollars is all he had to his name. And so as a parent, I did what any parent would do. What do you think I did? Tough kid. What? We think I was going to give you $50? For what? I told him not to do it. Like, the whole point was, you're irresponsible, you lose. That was a life lesson. Some of you are like, that's terrible. That's life. It just is. 
Look, how many of you adults have ever lost a $100 bill and somebody came and goes, hey, I heard you lost 100 Here, let me fix that for you. Nobody. That's not life. Come on. I heard of a guy one time who found $200 and he saw this lady who was crying on the sidewalk because she lost $200, so he gave her $20 to make her feel better. <laughs> so generous. But here's the thing. Look, life is difficult. That comes with the territory. Be long-suffering. Do your work. Finally, the, this passage tells us where to be long-suffering like Job, verse number uh, 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. You've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. Job, at the end of the day, just trusted God. His wife says, Job, you should just curse God and die. And he said, I won't. His friends came and says, Job, you've really made God angry. And Job said, I didn't. They said, you're a liar, Job. One time early on in my uh, single adult life, I was going through a difficult time. I thought I'd read the book of Job for encouragement. <laughs> you laugh if you've ever read the book of Job. <laughs> there is little to no encouragement in the book of Job. Let me just say, guy who lost everything, but at the end found out that Jesus was enough, that God was sufficient. So we talk about the patience of Job. Though we lose everything, we stand in the sufficiency of Jesus. Hey, we sing songs like complete in thee, complete in you. God is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Last week we sang uh, the, uh, about the sufficiency of Christ. Do you really believe that? Oh, yes, amen, that's good. Do you really? Like if you lost everything in the world, would you still be able to say God's good? I hope so. But it's funny, when things don't go your way, you question God and get mad at God, don't you? Would you really be okay if you lost everything? Like, like you can't be content when you lose your car keys. But Job was. Here's what Job said. Though he yet slay me, I'll still trust him. God takes my life too. I trust him. He's never failed me and he won't ever fail me. And I believe that he's good. Our daughter, McKeeley, was sick when she was one years old. She had a gang of health problems. And the doctors originally told us that they thought it might be lymphoma cancer for a one-year-old. Her lymph node was swollen up the size of a baseball. It was terrible. And the doctor says, if it's lymphoma cancer, a child that size doesn't have the immune system to fight it off, and it's bad. I had to go home that night and tell my boys, who were super young at the time, hey, your sister's really sick, and we're not sure she's going to make it, but we know that God's good. I took him to the book of Job, where Job says, Though the Lord slay me, yet I will trust him. Whatever happens to your sister, whether she makes it or not, we're just going to continue to trust God. Whatever happens, if she's in the hospital for a long time, she's not in the hospital for a long time, whatever happens, we're just going to continue to trust God because he's never failed us and he won't ever fail us. So we can trust him. That's what it's talking about having the long suffering of Job. Job says in Job 121 at the very beginning, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey, I didn't have anything when I came to this world. When I leave, I'm not going to have anything either. What I got between point A and point B is just the grace of God. Job had a right perspective. But Job 122 says, that In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Though we be discouraged or confused, we keep our heart right. Look, things are, might be hard in your life right now. Let me just tell you, things are probably going to get harder. 
I'm just trying to be real with you. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to give you a fake narrative that doesn't come true. I want to tell you that life's hard, and there are times where it's just going to get harder. Some of you, I hesitate to say this, but I just love you enough that I want you to be prepared. Some of you are walking through suffering that you might never see fixed this side of heaven. That's just reality. Some of you have wounds so deep that maybe you'll never get the healing that you desire. But let me challenge you with this. Jesus is enough. He's faithful. You can trust him. Hey, look, this life, short. James tells us it's a vapor. It appears for a short time and vanishes away. Eternity, man, that lasts forever. Getting to be with my Father in heaven for all of eternity, to be able to see my Savior face to face, to see my life's work placed upon a refiner's fire, to hear my father say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter thou therefore into the joy of the Lord. I live for that stuff. I don't live for money or status or what people think of me, please. I hope you don't either. I hope you realize that whatever comes our way in life, God's faithful. Though we lose everything and we still have Christ, we have everything. And that when this life is over and done with, there's an eternity waiting on the other side. That's why Jesus says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth or rust doth not corrupt, where thieves break through and not in steel. I don't think it's a coincidence that James in this passage talks about people laying up money for themselves that it becomes moth-eaten. Are you living for eternity within mind? Are you willing to suffer long? Are you willing to trust on the sovereignty of God even though it's difficult, even though it's painful, even though it's confusing, even though it doesn't make sense? Are you willing to trust God? Let me tell you, it's worth it because he's trustworthy. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you need to trust Jesus with your eternity. You need to believe that he is enough to save you from your sin and his payment on the cross was sufficient for your sins and the sins of the whole world. But for those of us that are Christians this week, man, we got hope. Again, I hope you don't walk away from tonight's message going, wow, that was really discouraging. Life's hard and it's going to get harder. I hope you walk away from this going like, I got this. With God's help, I got this. With God's help, there's nothing that I can't face and come out victorious on the other side. Now, again, I think it's important. I'm going to say this and I'm done. When we talk about victory in the Christian life, victory in God's eyes and victory in yours sometimes mean two different things. It's important to keep that in mind. You know, it's interesting. The Bible very rarely talks in flowery terms like your breakthrough is right around the corner. Your victory is waiting for you on the other side. That's a bunch of psychobabble nonsense that was injected back into the Bible that wasn't ever really there to begin with. So your victory, your deliverance, really might end up not what you think it would be. But we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Why? Verse 29 tells us to shape us into the image of Christ to make us more like Jesus. Let's seek to be more like Jesus this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 
You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.